We're moving into Jesus' words to the churches, kind of what he told John to record, the things that are, things we're dealing with now. And uh, in some ways, it's an invitation, as we'll see. Um, when have you been invited to something? Uh, maybe it's a party, maybe it's... Um, you know, you got Labor Day weekend coming up, you're invited to something that way. Um, or sometimes you just assume that there's an implicit invitation to something. Like, of course I can do this because this is the situation. Uh, this, this, week, this week, I, was, I decided, well, we've been planning on it for a while, but I decided finally to put, uh, I, have a, I, had, I had a black Suburban, a 2002 black Suburban, um, it was rusted out. We just used it for the last couple of years just to mow lawns. You know what I mean? So like throw the lawnmowers in the back, drive it around. That's all we did with it. And I was like, you know what? It's time to get rid of this thing. And so, uh, so I put it on Facebook Marketplace for 750 bucks, which was a deal. You know, I was like, I just want to get rid of this. And it was a deal because like within minutes, people were like, is that still available? You know how that goes. <laughs> You're like, it was just put on, you know, like, uh, um, and so um, I had people contact me. Finally, one person said, well, I'll, I can come tomorrow. Uh, I was like, okay, well, we'll see. Uh, and uh, I had, uh, uh, this guy said, okay, I can, I can come up tonight. Um, he's like, how much do you want? How much, what's your lowest price? I was like, well, let's say 600 bucks. You know, I was like, that's the lowest I can go, 600 bucks. So he's like, okay, he's like, can you go lower? I was like, no, 600 bucks, that's, that's, that's the lower I can, so I can go. So he gets up here, and I realize they're talking in a different accent, and I'm like, okay, I can't, can't place it, I don't know where it's from, right? And so they, they drive down and check it, and I was like, he had a friend with him, and he's, I was like, so where are you from? He's like, oh, we're from Romania. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And I'm thinking, oh, shoot, they're going to want to haggle, right? Because the whole culture, right, is like, they're going to want to get, and so, uh, they're, they're going to want to get the deal. The deal has to matter. So uh, he drives back, and of course, they're, they're happy enough with what it is. I mean, you realize this is a rusted out suburban, right? You get it. There's not a lot of value there, but it's enough value. And uh, so they, they, they want to buy it, and uh, so they start turning up the pressure. You know, they're like, you know, 550. I'm like, no, no, I got somebody who's coming. 600 bucks is the lowest I can go. And uh, he's like, well, you know, I got to drive it back to Des Moines. I'm like, of course you got to drive it back to Des Moines. There's gas in the car. Come on, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, uh, I didn't say that, but I was like, there's gas in the car. And uh, he's like, well, you know, I've got I've to polish this up and, and fix it all up. I'm like, you're not going to fix this up. This is a 2002 rusted out suburban. There's no way. And he's like, well, you know, my kid, you know, he needs food. And so, I mean, they were just piling it on, you know. Uh, finally, like, 20 bucks, just give us 20 bucks. I'm like, fine, basically, to shut you up, 20 bucks off. Yeah, there we go. So we sold it, uh, and, and it was gone. <laughs> but it was an invitation, right? They, they imbued it and invited me putting it out there and saying 700 bucks. It's just an invitation to haggle, and to haggle for as much off the price as they could get, right? When we come to Revelation chapter 2, what we're going to see is it's an invitation. And it's not implicit, it's explicit. It's an invitation to rule with Jesus. An invitation that comes to us 
from our Savior, from our friend, but from our Lord that says, do you realize I am King of kings and Lord of lords? We've seen recorded in the vision from John in, in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus walking amongst the lampstands as king of kings, and, and he's, he's the one who rules and reigns and is, is, is all-powerful. We see him as that, but then he's, in a sense, he's saying, but do you want to enter into my rule? And this is a, a tough passage, if you will, because it's a le- Revelation 2 and 3 is a, as, are seven letters, in a sense, to seven churches. You can see up here on the map, if I get my there we go. Uh, Patmos is where Johnny is down here, right? Ephesus, and then it just goes in kind of this Ephesus to Smyrna, Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Seven churches to seven. And about, I just was trying to figure out what the distance is here. Probably, for, they say, estimate from Ephesus to Pergamum is about a three-hour drive, okay? Um, so that gives you an idea. So a good one-day trip, probably, by foot uh, or by horse from between every city back, at, back in those days, okay? So like a one-day trip between all the cities. And um, so these are seven cities that Jesus is writing to. He's writing, to, he's, he's, he's speaking to them. He's speaking to them in their context, like what's happened in the last few months and years in their churches. And he's, he's saying, this is, this, is, I, I've, this is what I know about you, because he's walking amongst the churches. In, in fact, it's almost like he's making that path, right? He's walking amongst the lampstands. He's seeing what's going on. He says, I know this about you, and I know this about you. And he commends them, but he also challenges them. And he says, this is not good about what's going on. And it's the voice of someone who's in charge, you know, they always talked about in the Gospels, right, about how people marveled at, as he, he taught us someone who had authority, right? Well, Jesus speaks here as one who has authority. There's no, there's no wishy-washiness. There's no, well, maybe, but, or, and. It's just, this is what's going on. This is what needs to change. And then he invites them into his rule. And in the context here, it says, to the one who conquers. And so sometimes when you read it, you might think, okay, well, there's like two classes of Christians then. There's Christians, and then there's conquering Christians. Those who are, you know, who've got it all together, who've got it figured out, and they can do what it takes. Um, but when you read what he says to the conquering Christians about the, what he's going to give them, you realize there's not two classes of Christians here. It's just those who have received Christ and are his He's expecting them to walk a certain way, to do a certain thing, to do certain things because of what they have received in Christ. The first one with Ephesus, he says to them, if you conquer, I'll give you access to the tree of life. Well, as you, when we get to the end, we realize that's for all Christians, right? So he's, he's not, what he's not saying is, hey, you can have a, a more full experience of the gospel or a more intimate experience what he is saying, though, is if you believe in the gospel, if, you, if you've trusted in Christ, then you are going to, you are going to understand who I am and what, what I represent, and you're going to submit to my rule and in, engage in my rule and walk in my rule. And he, he does this in such a way that he's, in a sense, just challenging them up front, whose kingdom are you living for? Whose kingdom are you living for? 
Are you living for your kingdom or what you can accumulate in this life, what you can accomplish in this life, what, you can, um, what the power you can get, the, the prestige or the, the wealth that you can get? Are you living for maybe somebody else's kingdom, you know, somebody else's ideas of what's good or perfect or helpful? Or are you living for Christ? And Christ ultimately has challenged us to realize this, his kingdom is not of this world in a sense, although it will be in this world eventually. And so he's challenging them. And it, this, this is, these are seven letters to seven churches in, in, in their context within, you know, and, he, and it's not like he, they're separated over years. It's just this is what's going on now in these seven churches, and we're going to see that they're facing tribulation and, and struggle. And during that time in the Roman Empire, there was persecution of churches going on. Some churches, as we see, as we'll see here, some Churches experiences, experience that less, and some churches experience that more. But in the context of this, he's saying, he's, he's inviting them, he's saying, do you want to enter my rule? Then, then you'll conquer. You'll, you'll not be, in a sense, caught in the lies that are out there, but you'll respond to the truth. It reminds me of the movie The Matrix, right? I don't know if some of you have seen The Matrix, right? Where you have the red pill and the blue pill, right? Where you get to choose, like, do you want to stay, in, in a sense, in the lies, in the, in, the, in the picture of kind of fake life, or do you want to have, experience real life? And, and, and that's really what he's saying, in a sense, here. He's saying, which truth and which reality are you going to respond to? Are you going to submit to? Are you going to see that you live in and walk in that truth. And so, as we look at, that, at these churches this morning, my goal for you is to see the, the challenge to, the, we'll probably get through chapter two, I'm kind of gauging it here, we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll probably get through all of chapter two and look at chapter three next, but... Um, but here we have four churches we're going to look at this morning, and my hope is, is that you'll be thinking to yourself, in a sense, how, how does this resonate with what I know of my own life and my own church, in a sense? Because he's going to talk to the angel of each of the churches, and some people think that there's, the, the, there's an angel that's over each of the churches, which is possible, or he's talking that the angel is the messenger. It's just literally angel is messenger in Greek, and it could be the pastor of those churches. He's challenging them to say, this is the way the church needs to behave but at the same time, at the end, he repeats this phrase every time Jesus does. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here you get, this. it's kind of ironic, because you're like, well, Jesus, you're speaking to the churches, so why, why does the Spirit need to speak to the churches too, right? But the reason, partially, is because, again, the Spirit is the one who empowers change and empowers the church to operate, but also what's happening is is. John is recording this, and the Spirit is speaking to us. So even though John is writing to these seven historical churches in Asia Minor in the end of the first century AD, the Spirit is speaking to us today through this vision and through these words, saying, this is your Lord speaking. And he's going to speak words of commendation. You should hear words of commendation. It shouldn't all be condemnation in what you hear from these but it also is words of challenge and rebuke, saying there are things that are not right, and those need to change. So my goal this morning is that you would see both Christ's grace and Christ's rebuke 
and seek to enter into his rule in your life. So let's look at the first, cha- the first letter together, Revelation chapter 2, and the first one here is keep your first love. Chapter 2, verse 1, follow along as I read. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Again, referencing the previous vision. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you have had at first. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, that you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." Here we have Ephesus, and Ephesus has turned into a church where truth trumps love. They're concerned, and we're going to see other churches where they haven't tested the teaching, and they haven't weeded out the false teaching, but this is the only church where Jesus says to Ephesus as a church, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to wipe out your witness. It's, 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 it's wrong, and why? It's because, he's saying, because... You, you, you know the truth and you practice the truth, but you don't do it in love. You've left your first love, if you will. You abandon the love you had at first, is the way it's put here in Scripture. And what he's saying ultimately is, you can have truth, but if you don't have love, you're missing the point of the gospel. The gospel is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, Right? And so if, if we have truth, if we can say, well, I, 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 I know I'm, I got the best doctrine in town, or I've got, I know I'm right in so many different ways about how I live my life and what I do, but you've forgotten that you're supposed to love God because he loved you first. If that's not part of your experience and part of your life, and not really, in a sense, the first part of your life, then that's deadly, It's deadly to your spiritual life. It's deadly to the church's spiritual life. There's a a pride that comes in. And he said that they've endured. He said that they've kept the truth. They've been faithful. They do good works. But he said, none of that's changed. It's like a church where, you know, 90% of the people are serving and and 80% of the people are reading their Bibles and they're, they're doing all of these things, but they're not doing it out of a love for Christ and what he's done for them. They're doing it because we're right. We're the right ones. We're the faithful ones. And that's convicting. Because we all like to be right, don't we? We all like to know that we are on the right side and believe the right things and practice the right things. But where's our heart? Where is your heart for the fact that Christ died for you? That he rose again to rescue you from sin and death. That he didn't, you didn't deserve that. You definitely haven't earned that. And yet, in his love for you, 
He gave his life. We love him because he first loved us. John, first John says it plainly. Have you forgotten that? Have you abandoned that in your service in church or in the community as you seek to live out your Christian life? Have you forgotten what it's really about? A love for God. And obviously that turns into a love for other others, your brothers and sisters. But it starts with a love for God, a praise of him and what he's done for you, a delight in who he is and what he's accomplished. And if I'm honest, I'm convicted here because I can think, well, I've got great doctrine, I teach good doctrine, but where's my heart at? Where's my heart really at? And as he speaks to the churches, in a sense, he's saying, hey, I've got, I've got you here, but, but I'm, in a sense, concerned that you are all, in a sense, saved, really saved. I mean, we can make professions of faith. We can say, I, I, I intellectually understand these things. James says, the demons believe in God and tremble. Why? Because they intellectually and realistically believe that God exists, but they don't love him. What if you had a church that's, in a sense, demonic? It believes the right things, but it doesn't love the one who redeemed them. And he says here, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. There's this, this picture here of, of just access. He's saying, well, if usually you're... you're, you're your love of truth is driven by a fear of not, if you don't have the truth, you're outcast, right? There's that, this, this, this thing that's going on. If you, if, if you love truth, if you're proud of the truth, one of the reasons that you're, you're potentially, in a sense, too proud of the truth is because you're afraid of being outcast. Like, if I don't believe the right things, then I'm in trouble. If I don't get it all right, then someone can point out where I'm wrong, and he's saying, here, no, like, you, just trust me. The gospel is not, hey, get all your doctrine right, get all your beliefs about God right, and then you can enter heaven. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. <laughs> all the ways we mess up, all the ways we believe the wrong things and do the wrong things. Christ died for those things. And then he extends to us the free gift of grace. For by grace we are saved through faith. And not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast, right? And here Jesus is speaking to this church saying, you've left your first love. You've let truth trump love as a hope of getting it to heaven. And I'll give it to you. Just don't be conquered by pride and truth. Be conquered by my love for you. Conquer the lie that says I must believe everything right. And so we have this first word from Christ, this first message to the church saying authoritatively, this is what the gospel is about. 
It's first and foremost about my love for you and your love for me in return. And yes, that turns into works. It turns into faithful service and, and, and toil and endurance and testing false prophets. Those are all things that result. But if you don't have the love first, everything else is nothing, right? Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if I have all knowledge and all truth, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. So where is your love for God? Where is your love for the gospel? That's the first challenge that he makes here. The second letter he said, the message is to the church of Smyrna. And he says this, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Here we have Smyrna, a church that is, in a sense, slandered and fearful, seeking to be faithful. It's an interesting way he phrases this. The slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. This is probably a reference to the fact that he's saying, in a sense, you have a, a, a culturally Jewish synagogue in the city. They're saying, we're, the, we're God's people. We're the ones that God loves. But ultimately, they've been taken over by Satan because they've rejected Jesus, right? And they've slandered the church as no good. And we don't know the content of the slander. But he's, he's just challenging them, hey, you, you're going to face some hardship because of the slander and because of the, uh, everything that's going on. And some people are in prison, some of you may die, but it's not going to last too long. He just says 10 days. And that could be a reference to 10 literal days, or it could be Daniel. If you, if, you're, if you remember, I think Daniel and his friends were tested 10 days uh, eating, uh, the, 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 not eating the, the king's food in a sense, right? And so it just could be just in a sense a reference to you're going to be tested for a limited period of time. But he says, death, death isn't the enemy. Death is not the ultimate enemy. And, and when we've, I don't know about you, but if you've been slandered or you think, oh, okay, our church has been slandered, we're, we're, people are saying negative things, wrong things about our church, and they're worried about, in, in a sense, you feel like, well, what, how can we share the gospel? How can we be light in our world when people are slandering us and saying things that aren't true? The gospel says that it's about what God says of you, not what other people say about you. you know, our, our standing is not based on how we come across to the world and how, we, how, what, how little trouble we have with those that are not Christians. Augustine put this this way. He says, We are ordered to endure, but not to love trials. A man may love to endure, but he does not love what he endures. We're not called to Love the, the, the 
situations that come in that are challenging and persecuting and persecuting slanderous, hard. But he is saying here, endure. It's not going to last forever. Even if you die, it's not the end. Why? Because he says, I'm, he who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The first death is not the end. It's the second death, separation from God forever that matters. And he's just challenging this church not to fear other people's words, nor to fear even death itself. I don't know about you, I don't necessarily fear death right now, but I definitely fear slander, don't you? People saying untrue, unkind things about you and about our church. Saying things that are harmful to the gospel, harmful to a testimony of God. And here, he just encourages them, don't worry about that in a sense. Just be faithful. Keep doing what God wants you to do. Why? Because the gospel is about what God says of you, not what people say about you. Be faithful in tribulation. And for those of you who are going through trials, who are facing tribulation, maybe somebody is slandering you. Maybe you are facing some difficulties that way. Realize Christ is in a compassionate rule. He's still in charge here. Is saying, I've got this. This won't last forever. Be faithful. Trust me. Because you can trust me. Even death cannot conquer my rule. And that's a great comfort to those who are in trial, to those who are slandered, to those who are facing difficult and hard situations. Nothing is outside of the rule of Christ. He conquers everything. The third area here is that we seek holiness. That we seek holiness. Sorry. Yeah, there's the quote there from Augustine. Seek holiness. Notice verse 12. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So when you have some who hold the teaching of the, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the war, sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give, you a white, give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So here we have the third church to Pergamum, the furthest north on the map as we were looking on it. And he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This is probably a reference to, there was a, a famous temple, famous religion site, in a sense, in Pergamum. And he's, in a sense, saying again, Satan is present, he's active in your city. You know this because he also, we have a, a, a martyr, Antipas, we don't know historically, there's no other reference to him historically, so we don't know exactly what happened. But he, he was cl- killed among them. And again, Satan's active in your city, in a sense. He's doing things. And yet, he says, you hold fast my name. You don't deny my faith. He's saying, you're being faithful. 
And that's great. And when Satan is active, when things are going on and you're being faithful, Christ commends that. He's, he's pleased with you. He's excited to see how you continue to walk by faith. Just as he's, he's, he tells that to the church at Ephesus as well. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. He, he is pleased with those things, especially when they come from a heart of love for him. But he says he has a few things against you. You have some who hold. So, here, so within the church, there's some who hold a certain type of teaching. And it's not clear. He references here, again, he's pulling from the Old Testament. He's pulling some stories in, which is just a good example of the fact that, in a sense, he's saying there's these old, Paul references it too, there's these Old Testament stories that are examples to us of the fact that even in the church, uh, even though we have people that are filled with the Spirit in the life of the church, Things come in, just as they did in the days of Israel. And you have Balaam and Balak. And Balak was a king who was afraid of this great host of Israelites who were moving through the land, coming to occupy Canaan, and they weren't there yet. And he was afraid that they were going to attack him. And so he hires Balaam, who was a prophet of, of God, to, and he says, hey, come curse these people so that, that, I, that they, they kind of don't attack me, and they, they fall apart, and I, they're not successful. And Balaam's like, well, I can't, I can't do it. I can't say anything what God wants me to say. But Balak's like, hey, I'll pay you a lot of money. And so Balaam's like, well, if you're going to pay me a lot of money, I better double check. God, what, what do you really want me to say here? And God's like, nope, I want to bless them. Don't go with them. And he's like, oh, sorry, guys, I can't go with you. God says no. So they come back a second time with more impressive officials and more money, basically. Like, you can name your price, you know. And Balaam's like, whew, that's a lot of money. Maybe I better go check again. And this time God says, don't say anything I won't won't say, but you can go with him. So it's like, ooh, maybe I'm going to get some money here. So he goes with him. But God is angry that he goes with him. Why? Because his, he realized this motiv- the motivation is not to please God. The motivation is, how can I get some money out of the deal? And that's where the famous story of Balaam and the, the donkey comes into play because ba- Balaam's riding this donkey down the path to go see the king, Balak, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord about to kill Balaam, and he's like, I'm trying to get out of the way here. And we have the conversation between Balaam and the donkey. And then uh, it, the angel of the Lord reinforces the point, don't do anything but what I say. And three times, Balaam blesses Israel rather than curses Israel when he's asked to do it. But in the end, for a little bit of money, it seems, he's like, well, I couldn't bless him, but... You know how this could work, you know, if everybody wants a little money, so, you know, if you have them worship with you and, and, and uh, offer, you, offer your, your daughters to them as wives, and maybe you can start some trade and some relations, and, and everybody can be prosperous together and be successful, and, and we can just all build some wealth together, so to speak. And this seems to be what is happening here. There's people who are basically saying, let's just get along with the world for money. Let's, 
let's accept some of the world's standards about how to live or what to do. Because if we don't, then you know, we might not get rich. And Pergamum here is, is presented as a church who is faithful but forgetful of who's in charge. They're faithful, but they're forgetful about who's in charge. And in a sense, you get, like, you're trying to, I'm, trying, I'm trying to wrestle with this. Like, what does this mean? But from a, kind of a big picture perspective, I think what's happening here is Balaam is basically saying, hey, it's okay to worship other gods. You know, as long as it gets you ahead in life, what's the big deal? It's okay to, and it, and it basically turns, it's reference here to sexual immorality and food eating to idols, but the, the point is not so, so much that it's all just about sexual immorality as physical acts. It's also that sexual immorality of, I'm willing to worship other gods. It's, I'm willing to bring other gods in as well. And the, the picture of that in a religious sense, unfaithfulness to God. And maybe the teaching behind this was the idea of, well, well, God gives us unlimited blessing because like Balaam blessed them, Israel, three times unconditionally. Like God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you. If God's going to bless us, then it doesn't matter what we do, right? You should all say it wrong, you know. In our staff meetings, we have this, this bell we put in the middle of the desk, and whenever one of us says something heretical, we, we reach out and ding the bell, you know. You should be dinging the bell at this point. That's heresy. That's heretical to say, oh, God loves us. He's going to give us unloving blessings. It doesn't matter what we do. No, it does matter what we do. That's why Jesus is speaking to them. He's saying, this matters, you have some who are just teaching and holding teaching in the, in the church like, hey, we can just do what we want because grace is free, right? We can just have grace and just do what we please and who cares what we do? We can, you know, play around with the world a little bit, worship other gods, as long as it gets us ahead, as long as it helps us out. And that's, a, in a sense, a slippery slope all the way to sexual immorality and worshiping other gods and The gospel doesn't give us unlimited blessing to do what we want. That is not the point of the gospel. Nor does it say we can pay off God, right? There are churches in history, some churches have come up with the idea of, well, if you give money, <laughs> you can pay off your sins, right? It's the same type of teaching. Like it doesn't matter what you do because you can pay off God as if God is a, someone you can buy off if you have enough money. Nor does the gospel does not mean that we can just hang out with anybody we please and not be affected. And in a sense here, what Jesus is saying is, you need to pursue holiness. Intimacy with me comes through holiness. Wealth comes from holiness. It's not about how much you can accumulate on your own and how you can finagle the system. It's about coming to me, submitting to me, and letting me be the one who provides for you. And holiness comes through believing the gospel, being set apart to God. Why? Because, again, we love what God has done for us. That sets us apart from everyone else in the world. Because we love what Jesus has done for us. And we delight in it. Again, where's your heart? I know we have students here thinking about their, this, their how, how do I plan my life? How do I plan a career? How do I make something started? 
you have to plan and you have to think, and that's good to think all of that through, but where's, is it because you love God and you want to serve him, or is it because I'm like, well, I've got to find a way to find enough money in life? That is a slope that will throw you off a cliff. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, but I've got these friends at work and I've, now I don't want to come across as you know, goody two-shoes or things like that, and I understand that, but that doesn't mean that you should just do whatever you want to do or what goes along with the crowd just to get a few extra bucks, really? This is a perennial problem for all of us, right? Because we wrestle with, well, what about this and what about that? And if I just had a little bit more money, I get it. But money is not a substitute for salvation. There is a better kingdom. And the lie is that if you have enough and if you can just figure out a way to get enough that you'll be fine, you'll be happy, everything will be okay. But that's a lie. Satan lies. <laughs> Satan's active in the city and he's lying like that all of the time. And Satan is active here in this city, lying, saying the same things. Like, yeah, if you just had enough money, you'll be fine. There is coming a kingdom where money will not matter. And how much you own <laughs> is probably to your detriment. And his kingdom is way more important. And he says here, to the one who conquers, I will give the hidden manna, which is a reference probably to, there was a tradition that, that as they went through the wilderness, they set aside, once they got to the end, they set aside a certain amount of manna to, to, to provide for later on, even though they didn't really need to do that. And here he's saying, in a sense, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sustain you. I'm going to provide food that the world can't, can't buy. It can't get in its own manipulation of things. And he says, I'm going to give you a name with your, a, a, a new name that only you know. And that probably is a reference, to, again, to the idea of ruling. It's, it's the idea that if you have a name that no one else knows, you, you, no one else has control over you. You know who you are. And you're part of his kingdom. You don't have to, how do I get along with everybody else? Why? Because I know who I am. I'm a child of the king. I'm redeemed. I'm adopted. I'm chosen. And when you have that identity, it doesn't matter. How do I finagle everything? I'm a child of the king. And that's the gospel. The gospel is not, oh, God will be pleased with you if you just figure your life out and get enough money and and marry the right person and do all of these things. The gospel is, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. We take our tattered rags and we bring them to Jesus. And he gives us new clothes. And we don't have time to get to Thyatira this morning, but here's three churches with three messages to those churches in their contexts. But the Spirit is speaking to us today through these messages, saying to us today, 
Where's your heart? Which kingdom are you living for? I know it. We live in a a world and a time where you are being beat over the head 24-7. Live for now. Live for what you can get now. Live for how much pleasure you can get now. Who cares about the future? Who cares about how everyone else is doing? Just care about yourself. Who cares about whether there's a God or not? Because you probably can't figure it out anyway. We are inundated with those messages. And yet, there is a still, small voice speaking to us through his word saying, this is truth. Jesus reigns. He is God in the flesh. He is coming back for us. Don't buy the lies. Don't don't get sucked in and seduced by the promises. There is one king, and he reigns. And so we must, we must, we must submit to him. We must live for his kingdom. And we as a church want to be a scripture-driven family that disciples in grace and truth. It means that if we put too much emphasis on truth and not enough on grace, then we're off. If we put too much emphasis on grace without an emphasis on truth, we're off as well. These two go together. Jesus died and rose again, and it gives us grace. And we live in love of that grace. So my question for you this morning is, where might you be believing the lies about what it means to rule? Because this is an invitation from Jesus to rule with him. To one day stand in his presence and rule and reign with him. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you haven't accepted that invitation, it's as simple as it's a gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And there's a lot of people that go to church who've never accepted that gift. They're coming to church thinking, well, I've got to figure out the, the, the church game so I can do all the right things and know God's pleased with me. And I, and I maybe have to give some money, okay? Maybe I'll have to give a little bit of money and maybe I'll have to do some things or stop doing some things that I don't like to do or I wish I could do, but, I, but I'll stop them if I have to. And they'll play the church game, but they'll never accept the gift of eternal life. It's a free gift. All you have to do is ask. Have you asked? Because the world wants to say ruling means I can, do what you, I can do what I want, I can have the life I want, and I have the job I want, and the spouse I want, and the family I want, and I can rule now. But then you're going to die. And Jesus is offering a greater kingdom. One that lasts forever. One where you rule and reign with him at his side because he conquered death. So, we'll come back to that. Who are you really trusting in? Who are you really trusting in? Because 
Conquering doesn't mean I've got to, you know, I've got to put on my, you know, get all my strength and I've got to conquer these lies. No, it's just simply saying, <laughs> submitting to the truth that Jesus reigns. And I'm trusting in him. Are you doing that? Are you living that? He who has an ear to hear, let, the, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, Oh, it was convicting for me to read these passages and pour over them and wrestle with them because Jesus is king and he speaks so authoritatively. He is in charge and there is no one else. And we so easily buy the lies of, oh, if I just had a little bit more money or if I just had a little bit more time or a little bit more pleasure or a little bit more this or that, then I, I, could, I could figure out life on my own and I can do my own thing. And... But they're lies. And we've left our first love, the love of the grace that we have received at the cross. Oh Lord, may that, may that not be true of us. May we love your grace. May we sing of your grace. May we walk in your grace so that we can love more and more what you have done for us. Oh Lord, I don't feel like a conqueror sometimes, but you say that when I depend on that grace and walk in that grace, I am a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror because I'm trusting in your love for me. Lord, may I realize that reality and may I walk in it. Called, adopted, chosen, redeemed, your child forever because of the gospel, because of Jesus. Help me to live that in your son's name. Amen.